You've been visiting with us, you may not know this, but for the last number of weeks, we have been looking at special Bible characters in the Bible. And we've been talking about individuals that maybe you perhaps not know very well. And today we're going to talk about one that I think that uh, you may be a little familiar with, possibly when it comes to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is Barabbas. We're going to talk about Barabbas. So would you take your Bibles, and I'd like for you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the 15th chapter, and we're going to begin reading in verse 6. The Gospel of Mark 15, verse 6 through verse 15. Would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's holy word? Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Father, In Jesus' name, we come together today. First of all, we want to thank you for the privilege of being able to give our tithes and our offerings unto you. And Lord, we know that this is only a symbol of you first giving to us your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is our prayer, that through our tithes and our offerings, that souls would be born into the kingdom of God. Father, we pray for this hour, as we look to the Scriptures, and as we're reminded of the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself in the place of another. Help us, dear Lord, to recognize that he gave himself for us as well. 
May you anoint us, fill us, and use us for your glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. One of the special privileges of the President of the United States is that he has been given to him and his office the power to pardon. I found it interesting as I went back and I began to study about that power of the pardon that the President exercised. Because that when he exercises the power to pardon, no court or not even the Congress itself can overturn his pardon. The very first pardon was back in 1791 when George Washington pardoned, pardoned those that who was accomplished of rebelling against the government which was known at that particular time the whiskey tax. They had, the Congress had placed upon every individual that tax and there was a rebellion. And out of that rebellion, many people were thrown into prison. And George Washington exercised that privilege for the very first time to pardon those people. And then probably the most controversial pardon was when Richard Nixon pardoned Jimmy Hoffa. If you maybe remember Jimmy Hoffa, uh, as uh, he was involved with the union labor. And he was also involved in tampering with the jury of that hour. And so Richard Nixon pardoned him from prison. Probably the most pardoned that you may remember more than anyone else or more than any other pardon, the most famous was when Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon from the Watergate scandal. Then I found it very interesting that the president that pardoned more than anyone other presidents was one no less than Bill Clinton. On the very last day, of his office, he pardoned 149 people from the jail sentence. One of them was his own half-brother who was in prison for tax, I mean, uh, prison for uh, drugs. He pardoned them. But I think probably, as we think about it today, one of the most well-known in the scriptures that was pardoned was a man by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas, in essence, was pardoned by the governor of the land. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 18, it says, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Barabbas, we know very little about. He's mentioned only four times in the Gospels. And each time, of course, is around the setting of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
What I'd like for us to do is take a review of his life for a little bit and try to get a little understanding about his life. And so the very first thing that I want to bring to your attention is the reputation of Barabbas. Mark introduces him by saying, And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels, and they had committed murder in the rebellion. And then, of course, Matthew introduces him as by saying, and at the time that they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, Matthew chapter 27, verse 16. Barabbas had a reputation, and he had a reputation as a lawbreaker. Now, if I was to mention in our society someone's name like Billy the Kid, are Jesse James, you might immediately recognize them as outlaws in the West in the past. Well, back in the days of Jesus, if you were to say Barabbas, everybody knew who Barabbas was because he was notorious as a thief, a murderer, and a rebellious individual. There's a couple things I want you to notice about it. First of all, let's think about the crowd that he was associated with. The Bible says in Mark chapter 15 verse 7 that they had committed murder and rebellion. In other words, he was in jail for murder, but not only was he in jail, but others that he was associated with was in jail with them as accomplice in the crimes that he had committed. William Barclay gave us a little bit of an understanding about that. Listen to what he said. Palestine was filled with insurrectionists. It was an inflammable land. In particular, there was one group of the Jews called the Sakari, which means the dagger bearers who were violent, fanatical nationalists. They were pledged to murder and assassination. They carried their daggers beneath their cloaks and used them as they could. It is very likely that Barabbas was a man like that and a thug though he was. He was a brave man, a patriot, according to his lights. And it is understandable that he was popular with the mob. In other words, what happened was during the days of Barabbas, they would rebel, he and others would rebel against the Roman government. The uh, Bible knowledge commentary said it this way, he may have been a zealot, a nationalist, who stirred up opposition against Rome. Barabbas was involved in a revolution against the Roman government. He was a fanatical. He was an individual that was very violent in 
the things that he did. He might would be associated if he lived today with a a group called Al-Qaeda today. That type of individual. Barabbas. But you stop and you think about the name Barabbas. It's an interesting name. The name Bar is an interesting name because it literally means son of. Abba means father. So, by his name, it is stating that he was the son of a father, but the connotation of it is a loving father. So, just by his name, I began to think about Possibly Barabbas grew up in a loving home. Possibly he had a father and a mother that loved him and tried to teach him and to train him what was right. But something went wrong. And then, of course, the word Abba Many times it would refer to as a master or a teacher or a rabbi. Could that possibly mean that Barabbas possibly could have been a son of a rabbi? Could have been. All this is speculation. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's speculation coming from his name. But as you stop and you think about if he had come from a loving father, a loving mother, a loving family atmosphere, possibly you might think that he'd come from a son of a rabbi. That he knew the law of God. But something happened. Something went wrong. Could it possibly have been that he got with the wrong crowd? We see that quite often. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's a good place for an amen there. Amen. I mean, you stop and you think about it. That's why we as parents want to know where our children are at. That's why we want to know who they're with. Because the influence of others can lead them down the wrong road. Could it possibly have been that Barabbas got with the wrong crowd early in life? This possibly could have happened. But I want you to notice the crimes for which he was arrested for. Barabbas, the Bible says, Matthew says, that he was a notorious prisoner. Mark mentions he was a fellow rebel. He was involved in a revolutionary group against the Roman government. And then Mark also mentions that he had committed murder in the rebellion in Mark 15 verse 7. Possibly, just like the suicide bomber, that when Barabbas was revolting against the 
the government that some innocent person could have gotten killed at his hand by the hands of Barabbas. Possibly. Possibly in the midst of that revolution that he killed a Roman soldier. Now you can imagine the offense that would come against such a one. Barabbas had made a major mess out of his life. Getting with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong thing, reminds me of a little poem that I've heard many, many, many years ago. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And my friend, that's exactly what happened. I remember I, I read a book one time by a man by the name of Steve Farr. And the title of the book was Finishing Strong. Steve Farr talked about two young preachers in 1945. And these two young preachers... Crowds were coming from everywhere listening to them. That not only crowds, but they were packing auditoriums and packing out tents of where they were having revivals. One of them was, of course, Billy Graham. And you know of Billy Graham and what has all taken place through Billy Graham. But there was another man by the name of Bron Clifford. You may not recognize his name. But they said that he seemed to even be more powerful in his preaching than Billy Graham did at the time of the early 50s. And that more people were coming to hear him than any other. But something happened. Immorality came into his life. Not only immorality, but also he began to lose his life and his family because of alcohol. And irresponsibility of finances. And the age of 35, He was found dead in a little, old, dilapidated motel outside the city limits of Amarillo, Texas. All because of sin that had infiltrated his life. That he had at one time was doing great things for God, but he allowed sin. My friend, I want you to understand, sin will never elevate you. Sin will always degrade you and bring you down. And that's exactly what happened. John Haggai said, as he talked about that young preacher, unwept, unwept, unhonored, and unsung. And it was so bad that even a group of pastors had to come together and raise enough money themselves To bury this man. How sad. But let's go back to Barabbas just for a moment. 
Not only the reputation of Barabbas, but I want you to notice the release of Barabbas. This is the heart of the story when you think about Barabbas and the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew speaks of Barabbas as a notorious prisoner, as the scripture says in Matthew 27, verse 16. Mark said he was a chain prisoner, Mark 15, verse 7. He's in prison now. He has been sentenced for his crime. The crime of murder. The crime of rebellion against the government. The crime of stealing. And now he has been sentenced to die. So you began to notice the fate of Barabbas. It doesn't look very well here because after all these things has taken place, he has been condemned to die. When I think about the condemnation that Barabbas experienced, I'm reminded of the condemnation that every man, woman, boy, and girl has the experience if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you realize that if you're here today and that you're lost, that you're condemned and you have to pay for your sins? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the Bible reminds us in John chapter 3 verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, the scripture says. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Just as Barabbas was condemned to die, my friend, every man, every woman... Boy, a girl outside the Lord Jesus Christ is condemned. What a terrible fault. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Condemnation. The word condemnation literally means been judged, I've been found guilty, and I have been declared and must seek the punishment of my sin. Now, I know in our day and time, it's not too popular to preach on hell. In fact... Church growth experts tells you that you're to never speak on judgment and you're never to speak on the penalty of hell. But my friend, I want you to understand, if every church and every preacher did not preach on hell or did not speak on hell or believed on hell, doesn't mean that there's not a hell. So... In order to know good news, you've got to know the bad news. And the bad news is, is that all have been condemned just like Barabbas. 
facing the penalty. I think about, there's over 3,500 people that's on death row right now in America. Can you imagine? There's approximately 7 billion people. Could it possibly be that there's billions of people today that do not know Christ and do not care to know Him? That they're on death row, they're condemned to die in eternal punishment. Just like Barabbas. But i got great news. I want to talk to you not only the faith of Barabbas, but the freedom of Barabbas. Now you can imagine, Barabbas is in jail. Sun's going down. He's hearing the hammering of the nails as they are building the cross. He had seen it many times of people that had been crucified there in that Roman territory. And he knew that this day... Or the hour of this day, of the next day, that he would be upon a cross. A cross to die. Now, I don't know exactly what all went on between the setting of the sun and the early rising of the next morning. But I do know that he was sentenced to die. Possibly his mother must have may have come and visited him before that terrible time of execution. Possibly his wife and children had come and visited him and talked to him. And I no doubt there was tears that were shed. Oh, Daddy, I don't want you to die. Husband, I don't want you to die. Son, I don't want you to die. And yet it seems like it's inevitable that you're going to die. Then the morning rises as the sun begins to come up. He begins to hear the guard opening up the jail and the cell doors. He hears the clanging of the swords. Barabbas! Yeah, here I am. I got news for you today. What is it? You've been set free. Set free. Don't make fun of me. Don't play games with me. My soul is already in torment. Don't make fun of me. The soldier says, I don't understand it. But the governor has set you free. See what happened. Herod, the governor, he didn't want to crucify and punish the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's traditional that on the Passover that the governor would release one prisoner and let him go. And so what he thought, 
that he would come before the people and tell them that you have a choice. You can release Barabbas or the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thought for sure this man who had done no evil, would the people would want him to be released. And yet... The Bible says that the chief priest stirred up the crowd. And they began to say, Release Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! Now can you imagine? One that is condemned for murder, one that is condemned for rebellion, one that is condemned for stealing And yet here's a man over here had done no wrong. They release him and Jesus dies in his place. Can you imagine? Albert Barnes wrote this. He said, what this custom arose or by whom it was introduced, it is not known. It was probably adopted to secure popularity among the Jews and to render the government of the Roman less odious. Can you imagine? Barabbas is shot. But Jesus dies as a substitute for Barabbas. What would be the reaction of such a man? I dare to say that when they opened the door, that Barabbas didn't just walk out, but he ran. Now there's speculation what happened to Barabbas after he was released. One, that he was kind of careless of what had happened. According to one tradition was that he went right back to his old life. He went right back to his old friends. And one tradition tells us that as he got back involved in doing the old things that he shouldn't have done, he found himself being killed in the riot. There's a lot of people today could care less what Jesus has done. They want to just continue on in their own life. Like Barabbas, the majority of the world in which we live could care less that one had died and gave himself. But yet, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But there's another tradition, a speculation, that Barabbas was so overwhelmed that Jesus took his place on the cross. 
that after he got out of prison, he followed Jesus and watched him go up to that mountain called Golgotha. And he watched Jesus as they put those nails in his hands. And he watched Jesus as they put those nails in his feet, thinking all along, I should be the one on that cross. He watched Jesus take the pain and the torment and the bruising and the beating and thinking, that should have been me. That should have been me. And that tradition tells us that Barabbas became one of the disciples of Jesus, that he went and he began to share with others that Jesus died for me and died in my place. All that speculation... We don't know for sure, but it's all speculation. But I do know this. I know this, that I am, I was condemned, I was lost, and my sins have been condemned, and that I face the death penalty of eternal damnation. But Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, Because I didn't have to do that. That I was able to be set free. And today I can sing aloud with the voice of saying, because that Jesus took my place, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. Hallelujah. Glory to God that God had sent His Son to take my place just like He took Barabbas' place. He took your place. Bow with me in prayer. I wonder today, am I talked to someone A person that have never come to a point and place in their life that they've ever, ever prayed a prayer of trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Am I talking to someone that the Holy Spirit is working in their heart, in their life right now and saying, you know... I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. And if I was to die today, I don't know for sure that I would go to heaven. But I'd like to know. I'd like to know. Preacher, oh preacher, would you pray for me? Well, that's exactly what I want to do. I certainly won't embarrass you by coming to you or doing anything to embarrass you in any way. But I do want to pray for you. 
I wonder, would you be willing, would you be man enough, woman enough, and we willing enough to raise a hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would there be a hand that we st- that would be lifted at this time? Pastor, would you pray for me? How about it? Would there be one? I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Others? Yes, I see that hand. Others? Others? Yes, yes, yes. I see those hands. Will there be someone else? Thank you. You may put your hands down. I'm going to do exactly what I said I would do. I want to pray for you. But before I pray for you, I want to do something after I pray. I want to lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord, thank you for giving us that pardon for our sins. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for going in our place. Thank you for allowing us to be freed from the condemnation of sin. Lord, I pray for these individuals. They were honest enough to raise their hands. Lord, may the Holy Spirit of God speak to their hearts and show them how they can too be saved and be freed. All of you that raised your hand, I want you to look up here at me just for a few moments. Everybody else's head down. But I want you to look at me just for a few moments. Jesus loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Just like he did with Barabbas, he took his place. He's taken your place there upon the cross. But just like Barabbas, if he did, he had to confess him as Lord and Savior of his life. Would you be willing to do that? The Bible says that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God had raised him from the dead, that I shall be saved. That's a promise. Not a promise from me, but it's a promise from God. And a promise from God cannot be broken. If I confess, if I believe, if I'm willing to receive. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's giving you a gift. Would you be willing to receive that gift? Right now, would you say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart and save me? from my sins. I accept you gladly. I accept you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul.
I repent of my sins. I turn away from that. And I now want to walk in the newness and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall know that they have eternal life. It's a gift that God wants you to be aware of. A gift for you to cherish. Did you pray that prayer today? I pray that you will. Once again, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I believe you died upon a cross for my sins in my place. Buried in a grave, rose again. Come into my life, dear Jesus, and save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Amen.